0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I want to welcome our Derby campus joining us today. I want to welcome Greenwoods Community Church in Massachusetts and everyone joining us online. And here at the Bethel campus, can you give them a warm welcome? Amen. 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 You know, uh, if you're new or visiting, my name is Adam Pasquale. I serve as one of the lead pastors here at the church. And I just want to say on behalf of Craig and I, we're so thrilled that you're here today worshiping with us. And church, I have to tell you, you know, it's a wonderful thing to gather and worship and lift up the name of Jesus, isn't it? Because he is the light of the world. You know, as a reminder, this year's annual theme, Arise and Shine, comes from Isaiah 60. Let me read it to you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. You know, this was such hope-filled news for the Israelites. But wow, we have the blessing of seeing this prophetic word played out before our very eyes today. Isn't that amazing? It really is. You know, as we've been talking about Arise and Shine, we've been consistently saying that the arising is an essential part of the shining, You know, as we learn to embrace and step into this abundant life that Jesus offers us, we arise and the Lord shines through us. As we learn to receive God's love and rest in his presence, we arise and the Lord shines through us. As we commit to gather in the name of Jesus and learn how to do life together in relationship, we arise and the Lord shines through us. As we learn to stay intimately connected with the Lord in prayer, like we talked about last week, right? We arise and the Lord shines through us. And today, we want to talk about another essential aspect of arising and shining. We're going to talk about a largely forgotten practice, a practice that has been abandoned by far too many churches, a practice that many of us, if we're honest, we feel uncomfortable with. Perhaps we have had awkward experiences or bad experiences. Maybe we even feel embarrassed or insecure if we're honest. Maybe we've never seen it modeled. Maybe we've never been taught about it. You see, today we're talking about the power of corporate prayer. What happens when Christ followers gather in the name of Jesus and actually communicate with the creator of the universe? Yeah, you know, I want to take you back to the year 2006 Our former senior pastor, Clive Calver, had only been serving at the church for about one year, but a lot of wonderful things were already happening. You know, for those of you who were here at the time, you probably remember Clive's booming voice and his passion for Jesus. You might also remember his deep passion for prayer. You know, at that time, by God's grace and the clear leading of the Holy Spirit, we had begun to pray 24 hours a day seven days a week that's 168 consecutive hours of prayer every week people would sign up for a weekly prayer hour and then they'd come to our prayer room at the bethel campus and we'd pray and there were weeks where nearly every hour of prayer in the week was being covered it was extraordinary right you know as i look out in the congregation today i see so many of you who helped make that season possible and as i served as the pastor of prayer at that time i just want to say how grateful i am for you Because it was a tremendous undertaking, but wow, it was one of the most exciting times in ministry, right? You know, I'll never forget when Clive first shared the vision for twenty-four-seven prayer one Sunday morning, and about 150 people heard the prompting of the Spirit and came forward and signed up for weekly prayer hours. It was so special. That season lasted about three to four years, and I estimate probably around thirty thousand hours of prayer were spent. Isn't that incredible? hundreds and hundreds of people participated. Praise the Lord. You know, but Clive also had a vision for monthly corporate prayer gatherings. And so we began to meet on the first Monday of each month in the fellowship mall. we would pray for our friends to meet Jesus. We would pray for our community. We would pray for our world. We would pray for the church. And on the night of one particular prayer meeting, Clive and Ruth were away in Wisconsin, and we still gathered here in prayer. And towards the end of that prayer meeting, I'll never forget, a member of the congregation came forward and said, before we end this prayer meeting, I really feel like we need to pray for Clive and Ruth. And so we did. Well, within a short period of time, we received a call. Clive and Ruth had just finished speaking and ministering at an event. It had been powerful. God had moved, people had responded. And as they were driving home in the rain, all of a sudden, their car hydroplaned, and it went off the road and hundreds of feet down a steep hill. It missed trees and all kinds of other things until finally it came to stop at this large tree stump. You know, Ruth called for help. Police and emergency vehicles arrived. But amazingly, Clive and Ruth were perfectly fine. Probably even crazier was the outside of the car being filthy... They had borrowed it from a friend, by the way. It was completely fine. And a tow truck even managed to get it back on the road and they drove it back to their place they were staying that night. You know, an observer of the incident who saw everything take place said this to Ruth, I have no idea how you are still alive. But we know how they're still alive. The church had been praying. God had intervened. You know, for those of us who were there that night and heard this news, we were overcome with a sense of awe and wonder. The creator of the universe had prompted us to pray at just the right time. Had it been an Ephesians 6 spiritual attack against church leaders who are making a world of a difference? Had their lives been spared from death? Almost definitely. You know, one day in heaven, we're going to know the full story. But praise God, there is power in prayer. There is power when we, the Lord's church, gather together and seek him. You know, to give you a little context for today's sermon, this past week we finished after Acts chapter 3 in our daily reading plan. But in Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin to see even greater resistance against the early church from Jewish religious leaders. And this is going to lead to persecution and the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 8, we're going to actually begin to see the church begin to run and scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. But today, to talk about the significance of corporate prayer, I want to spend time in Acts chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or you can access it on your phone, please take out that and turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now just a note here, if you remember, James, John, and Peter... Were Jesus' closest companions, Jesus would often take them on special missions, including the transfiguration. Maybe you remember that on the mountaintop where it says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And so James was a highly esteemed leader and seen as very important in the early church. You can almost imagine what it must have been like as the early church to hear that James had been killed. Man, it would have taken the breath out of the community, right? You could almost hear them saying to each other, if they can get to Stephen, if they can get to James, who is next, right? Let's continue in verse three. It says, When Herod saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Okay, so Herod is going to go after the most influential leaders in the church, right? You see that. He's going after those who are closest to Jesus. Clearly, there's a strategy to put an end to this movement that has begun. And it's happening during the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day feast that overlaps with Passover. Now, if you remember, Passover is a celebration that God instated himself so that the Israelites would never forget that he delivered them out of Egypt. You know, I just want to point out, How sad, right, that during this moment, when the Israelites are celebrating deliverance, they've actually missed the fact that their Messiah had come. And they're going after those who are closest to him, right? Continuing in verse 4, after arresting Peter, Herod put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover, So Herod was smart enough to know not to create a stirring during Passover, right? He was going to wait for the exact right time. But notice how many soldiers he put in place. 16, right? It makes you wonder if he was a little concerned about a riot or maybe even a breakout. I almost imagine that he whispered to someone, Remember, they took Jesus' body somehow. Be on watch, right? Continuing in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Man, I love that phrase. But the church. But the church. Right? It's like part of a great movie. Think bad things are happening. And it says, but the church was earnestly praying. I want to say, you might even want to underline that or highlight that. It's so significant. And the word for earnestly here is the same word used to describe Jesus when he was praying in the garden before he was arrested. In other words, there was deep conviction in their prayers, right? The church was earnestly praying. You see, a church that arises prays together. It's straight from Scripture. You can't miss it, right? And you can't ignore it. Well, I guess you could ignore it, couldn't you? But why would you want to do that? Continuing in verse 6, it says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and centuries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Don't you love that? Light into darkness. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen Roman chains fall off Peter's wrists, Just melt from the power of the Lord? man then the angel said to him put on your clothes and sandals and Peter did wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel told him Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening he thought he was just seeing a vision now you got to remember Peter had seen visions before right so he just figured this was another one maybe almost like a vivid dream that you have at night you ever have those before I never do, but my wife does all the time, and she tells me they're real, although I don't think she's ever been rescued by an angel yet. (laughs) In verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. You know, so often in our Christian faith, there are these moments when something happens and this moment of revelation comes. It's almost like, wow, look what the Lord is doing. Now I understand it. Peter had that kind of clarity here. He's like, the Lord has rescued me. And crazy enough, this is the second time that Peter is rescued from prison by an angel. The first time you're going to read in Acts chapter 5. But here in this moment, it wasn't just like Peter was thinking, I'm sure glad I'm out. Where do I hide? I'm so scared. Not at all. It's like Peter's been given faith that he's been delivered from this particular scheme. Maybe you've had that happen in your life before where you're going through a trial and it's as if the Lord just tells you in your heart, it's going to be okay. And you have this new faith. That's what's happened here. Peter is given this tremendous faith. In verse 12, it says, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Now pause there for clarity. There's a lot of Marys in scripture, right? Look, this is Mark's mom, Mary. And tradition says that she was a very influential woman in business and probably in the church as well. And so it made a lot of sense that they went to her house. And so they went to the house where many people had gathered and were praying Right? They were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Wow. It doesn't seem like the church was that expectant for their prayers to be answered, right? But thankfully, in Matthew 17, Matthew 17, Jesus had taught that a mustard seed of faith, the smallest amount, could actually move a mountain. Praise God, because that's what's happening here. It doesn't appear like they have that much faith, but it doesn't matter. God moves. continue on. It says, Peter kept knocking. I love that. Keep knocking, Peter. Keep persisting. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and heard Peter tell that story and seen the reactions on their faces, right? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and felt the sense of awe and wonder that filled the room? I would have loved to have been there and been part of that worship service that must have erupted as they told that testimony. But the truth is, they would have still been grieving the loss of James, right? It would have been fresh on their hearts. But God had come to their rescue. He had heard and responded to their prayers All hope was not lost. Peter was alive. Continuing, Peter says, Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Now remember, not to be confused, there are two apostles named James, which is why it says, Go tell James, right? Verse 18 In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Wow, tough stuff, right? You can see what's on Herod's heart. Put yourself in his position. He likely felt humiliated. See, the scripture tells us that his actions against Peter were to gain popularity, right? And so he probably feared looking like a fool. You can almost imagine the gossip going around town. Did you hear Peter got out of prison, right? Ha, ha ha. Herod would have been furious. He had totally lost control. And none of us like to lose control, do we? His plan had been thwarted. He blamed the guards. And it doesn't seem to indicate that he gave any thought that this could have been God in this plan. You know, if you keep reading in your Acts plan, you're going to see in a couple of verses that an angel of the Lord strikes Herod down, and Herod is eaten by worms and dies. <laughs> you'll see that Herod takes it too far. He actually accepts the praise of people for himself without giving it to the Lord. Church, we serve a holy God, don't we? That's all I'm going to say about that. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this story? I just want to give you three points. First, God is able to rescue us from what looks like even the most impossible and hopeless situations. I feel like... Maybe you're here today and you need to hear that. That God is able to rescue you from your difficult situation. Secondly, we learn that the supernatural is real. You know, when the word of God talks about angels, I think about Hebrews chapter one, where it says that angels are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. It's absolutely true. It's a reality today. In a moment's notice, God can dispatch legends and regions and thousands of angels to come and rescue whatever he needs to do doesn't that give you comfort we serve an amazing god and third as seen throughout the book of acts the early church was a praying church there is power when followers of jesus come together and pray and so i want to spend the remaining portion of our sermon here talking about the vital importance of corporate prayer And to give you a little context, I want to take you back to Jesus' ministry. You see, in Mark chapter 11 and Matthew, Matthew 21, we experience this amazing scene where Jesus walks into the temple area, and he sees money changers profiting off the Israelites. You see, the Israelites had to buy pigeons in order to make their sacrifices, and all this money was being made off of that. And so in response, Jesus overturns all the tables, and he quotes Isaiah 56 saying this, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. That's a strong statement, right? He's correcting them. He's saying, you've led things astray. The gathering place of my people should be known as a house of prayer for all nations. So here's the question. In 2023, has the Western church found itself in a crisis? You see, in a 2017 study by Barna, called Silent and Solo, How Americans Pray, they reported the following. The forces of our individualistic culture have influenced what was once a more communal and corporate conception of Christian identity, to one now focused primarily on the individual. This personal faith focus plays out most explicitly in the practice of prayer. Almost all American adults, 94%, who have prayed at least once in the last three months, most often choose to pray by themselves. Affirming this shift is the fact that only a very small percentage most often pray audibly with another person or group, 2%, or collectively with a church, 2%. Now, listen. There is absolutely nothing wrong with praying by yourself. Please, pray without ceasing. Start your day in a first 20, right? But we have to ask ourselves, what makes corporate prayer so hard? Why has it lost its place in the Western church? You know, I have no doubt that the enemy of our souls would like nothing more than to stop and diminish corporate prayer. Absolutely. But here's what's on my heart. I believe our collective experiences with corporate prayer has had a huge impact on our commitment to it today. Here's what I mean by that. I believe many of us here today have had never had the opportunity to experience the power of praying with other believers. Perhaps it was never modeled to you growing up. Perhaps it was never taught to you. And listen, there is absolutely no shame in that. For others of us, perhaps you had a bad memory or a bad experience in a prayer meeting. And listen, as I was preparing this weekend, I felt the Holy Spirit stop me and say that there's at least one person here today who had such a bad experience in a corporate prayer meeting that you have stopped being part of those and has really impacted your walk with the Lord. And I just felt the Lord say to me that today, he is freeing you from that experience and he wants you to release it to the Lord. And then I saw clearly a picture that he's actually returning you to a ministry of prayer. And it's going to be even more joyful than it ever was before. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you to receive that today. Amen. Amen. But church, you know, if we're honest, perhaps some of us are simply afraid of others knowing that we're scared half to death and intimidated by praying out loud. I want to say that again. I think some of us are simply afraid of knowing, of others knowing that we're scared or intimidated praying out loud. Can you relate to that in some way? Think of it right now. How do I pray? Are they gonna point me out? What am I gonna say? What if I sound stupid? Man, I can never pray like Mary or Bob, right? All these thoughts go through our minds. Listen, I completely understand that. I've had those thoughts in my mind even before getting up to preach, right? It's understandable. But listen to me carefully. In all my years of ministry, in all my study of scripture, I wanna tell you it's not the loudest prayer that is most effective. It's not. It's not the longest prayer that is most effective. It's not. It's not the most eloquent prayer that is most effective. It's not. It's the prayer that comes from a mustard seed of faith and a heart of humility. It's a prayer that's offered in sincerity as a community of believers gather in the presence of their holy God and seek to pray in alignment with his will. You know, in Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus said this, again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, I wanna stop there, you hear that word agree? If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You see, church, there's power in corporate prayer. There's power when we pray with other followers of Jesus. When we gather with, in the name of Jesus, the creator of the universe is with us in a special way. Koinonia. In Susan Rowe's book, Unlocking the Power of Corporate Prayer, she makes a couple of great observations from scripture that I want to share with you. Number one, corporate prayer helps maintain unity and being in one accord. Simply put, as believers gather in the name of Jesus and seek His will in Scripture and listen for the Holy Spirit's leading, it strengthens our unity. It's almost like an autocorrect of all of our broken motivations and misguided um, priorities. Acts chapter four says, "The early church raised their voice to God in one accord." Isn't that beautiful? Corporate prayer helps maintain unity and being in one accord. Number two, corporate prayer commissions Christ followers to go. Scripturally, in Acts chapter 13, we see that as the leaders of Antioch were worshiping and fasting, they discerned the Holy Spirit saying, go and commission Barnabas and Saul for a fresh work, and they sent them out. You know, here at Walnut Hill, in the midst of our 24-7 prayer season, I would often hear of participants who were praying together in the prayer room and would walk out and say, we've heard from the Lord. This is what we're supposed to do. In one situation, I can think of a couple that was actually called to the mission field where they've now spent 20 years serving the Lord. Corporate prayer commissions Christ followers to go. Number three, miracles come as a result of corporate prayer. Today, we studied an example from the book of Acts with Peter, and I shared with you a story about Clive and Ruth and how they were delivered from an accident. Miracles come as a result of corporate prayer. And number four, Corporate prayer is a catalytic force for revival. I love that one. I want to say that again. Corporate prayer is a catalytic force for revival. Listen to what the 19th century pastor, Arthur Tapin Pearson, once said. Now, by the way, Arthur preached 13,000 sermons. He wrote 50 books. He was a student of missions. And he followed Charles Spurgeon as interim pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. So it's a person of some qualifications, right? Here's what he said There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. I want to say that again. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. That's pretty bold, isn't it? But here's the thing as we look around the world, as we look throughout history, we find this to be consistently true. That corporate prayer is present before renewals, before revivals, and before awakenings begin. It makes you wonder, right? Listen to what the Christian historian, Edward Orr, wrote about the 19th century. In September 1857, a man of prayer, Jeremiah Lamphere, started a prayer meeting in the upper room of the Dutch Reformed Church Consistory Building in Manhattan. In response to his advertisement, only six people out of the population of a million showed up. But the following week, there were 14. And then, 23. When it was decided to meet every day for prayer by late winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church, then the Methodist Church on John Street, then Trinity Episcopal Church on Broadway at Wall Street, In February and March of 1858, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled. Horace Greeley, the famous editor, sent a reporter with horse and buggy racing around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could get to only 12 meetings, but he counted 6,100 men attending. Revival. Revival, right? Just over a week ago, Pastor Brian Soroni and I visited Church of the City in Manhattan. You know, their leadership was so inspired by what had taken place in New York in 1857 that they've started a prayer movement where every day they are holding morning, noon, and evening prayer meetings. And throughout the week, by the end of the week, they're seeing hundreds of New Yorkers of all ages, and especially kids and people in their 20s, come out each week to intercede for their city. You know, Brian and I attended a noontime prayer meeting. We attended a 7 p.m. prayer meeting. It was a beautiful experience. It was a sacred experience. And here's the thing they don't pray about issues, they pray from scripture. They focus on Jesus, and then they allow the Holy Spirit to guide their prayers for the city. And man, they were passionate. It was pure, it was powerful, it was inspiring. You know, before we left, sitting in an office in busy Manhattan, their pastor, overseeing the movement, asked if he could pray for Walnut Hill. It was a special moment. With our eyes closed, with my hands extended, I listened as he earnestly prayed for us and lifted you and me up to the Lord. And as he prepared to close, he asked God to birth something fresh among us that we would catch the spirit of corporate prayer. So how is God asking us to respond today to his word? Listen, first, I believe that the Lord wants each and every one of us to be honest about our comfort levels with praying out loud with other believers. I just want you to take a moment. If you were being honest between you and the Lord, how comfortable are you right now? Second, I believe that the Lord is asking each one of us to step, step outside of our comfort zones and today make a commitment that we would be willing to go on a journey to learn and discover the power and beauty of corporate prayer. Today, would you be willing to make that commitment that you're willing to go outside your comfort zone and go on a journey to learn and discover the beauty of corporate prayer? Just be between you and the Lord. Third thing is this, within all the ministry groups that we're involved in, within all of our crews and all of our friendships and with all of our families, today, would you make a commitment to pray more together? Can you make that commitment that, to, that together as a church we'll discover the power Of corporate prayer listen as you pray with others seek the lord's will in scripture be expectant for how the holy spirit is going to guide your prayers i just feel in my heart that the lord wants to do so much more you know craig and i sense that god is asking us to take a step even further and to begin to regularly gather as church to pray and so here at the bethel campus we're going to start by having one large prayer meeting each each month It's gonna happen on the third Friday, so the first one is gonna be Friday, October 20th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Would you mark your calendars for that? This is the same night as 56ers, and so we're gonna have programming for kids from grades one all the way through grade six. It's gonna be an awesome time together. Please mark your calendars. Our Waterbury and New Milford campuses are gonna have their prayer meetings on the third Sunday of each month from five to seven p.m., and you are welcome to join them anytime. Our Derby campus already meets twice a week. They meet on Thursday and Saturday mornings. I just want to say bless you guys. You guys are forerunners. Greenwoods Community Church already meets for prayer Wednesday nights and often around a fire pit. I want to say how proud we are of you guys. Keep going. We're praying with you. And this month online, you can join our church in action partners from around the world on Zoom and pray together with other believers for them. And you can find out more by scanning the QR code that's going to come on the screens or stopping by our Arise and Shine table and picking up a card. It's a really powerful time. I want to say this, all of these prayer meetings are going to be safe places. In other words, no one is going to force you to pray publicly. No one's going to put you on the spot. For some of us, it might just simply mean learning to agree with prayers in our heart. That's a fantastic and a great way to start. In closing, I just wanna say this to you. A church that arises prays together. And a church that prays together becomes united, is sent into the world, begins to see miracles take place and becomes a catalytic force for revival. God knows we need that, don't we? So where is this going? What is God gonna do? We have no idea. But here's the thing. We sense that this movement of prayer is going to grow into something that we can't even imagine. Might it turn into morning, noon, and prayer, evening prayer sessions? Who knows? Certainly that seed has been planted in our hearts. Listen, I pray that this message has encouraged you. I pray that it's challenged you. And perhaps made you a little uncomfortable.